What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here, back with another conference preview. And we have a doubleheader today, man. The A-Sun and WAC, everyone knows, are going to share an auto bid this year. So it was only right to do this preview together. And I couldn't think of two better guests to have on the show to do this. I got my guy Nathan McCreary next to me and my guy Brandon Joseph down there, man. They have an awesome FCS podcast that I'm going to let them talk a little bit about, man. So, guys, introduce yourselves and let people know where they can find you guys and the show y'all just launched where y'all had what a string of head coaches on just recently man so shout out to y'all for doing amazing work over there yeah thank you so um uh of course i'm nathan mccreary i have uh, spent 16 years working as the broadcast voice for kennesaw state um and uh me and brandon uh worked together there at ksu and uh we we talked about doing a podcast uh last year we started doing what we called the aq7 football podcast and we introduced ourselves to the coaches in the WAC because we didn't know <laughs> anything about them. Of course, Kennesaw State had not made the transition to the A-Sun. They were still in the Big South, but uh, we knew it was coming, and we just kind of talked about it, launched the show, had great success, and uh, made great contacts. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was kind of we're not going to let it stop. So when the AQ-7 turned into the AQ-10, then back to the AQ-9, then to the 8, and we didn't know what was going on, we said, well, we can't do that, so we're going to have to figure out a new name. I threw some things out there, and uh, Brandon and I chose the FCS Checkdown. So this is our second season. And, yeah, we it's almost like a coaches show because we want to bring coaches on and, and introduce them to – uh, the world really, and uh, it, we've had great success. We've I mean, we we talk football, you know, and that's uh, that's kind of what we do. Is, is Brandon's got great insight and knowledge, and and I just love college football. So uh, yeah, and it's worked out great. And Brandon's Brandon's a dear dear friend of mine, and and it's always cool working with someone, you know, you you just just have so much respect for. So and uh, that's me. Yeah, the, I think the the podcast has just turned into the conversations that we would have normally. Uh, whether we were calling games together or on the bus or plane or in the team hotel when we travel with Kennesaw State together. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that's where the podcast kind of just evolved, too. It's just the brand of football that we always talk in our inquisitive nature towards, you know, the X's and O's of it as well. I mean, for five years, I worked on Kennesaw State's football broadcast. I mean, you know doing a myriad of things from, uh, you know, starting out as just a fill-in color analyst to the full-time analyst, then uh, a host for them. And now, you know, weekly I work with Georgia Tech in doing that same role in pre-half and post as an analyst for them on their radio broadcast. Now currently calling high school football. I've called the Georgia high school state championships for the past 12 years. So it's really just trying to bring that knowledge base in. And we're lucky and fortunate that we're in the metro Atlanta area where a lot of these FCS players, we've seen in high school and we've seen them perform at a high level in high school also. So our knowledge point about the players coming in these programs, we're, we're fortunate enough to have, you know, a little bit more knowledge because we've seen a lot of these players firsthand. Hey, and you guys do a great job. And I remember, um, you know, kind of getting introduced to you guys and I, I've been following the podcast and like every time y'all drop an episode, I'm like, man, they got another coach. They got a, another big name. I'm like, man, they, they're doing it big over there, but we got to talk a little bit about conference realignment. Before we get into some of these teams now, you know, both of these conferences thought they were going to have their own auto bid this year. Things don't always work out as it was planned, as we saw Lamar and some of these teams bolt back to the Southland. Moving forward, though, is this something that you guys see longevity wise working out or do you think these conferences may have other plans moving forward past 2022? 
I think the the conversation we've had with a lot of the coaches is is let the dust settle a little bit about what's happening at the F, FBS level, um, and 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 then they'll make a decision. But I don't think these alliances and these um, uh, connections between conferences are going anywhere. Look at the Big South. I mean, just a couple of years ago, very competitive football uh, conference, and now I mean it's skin and bones over there. So uh, I think this is going to be a continued kind of alliance. And it was a bit of a head scratcher for us because the ASUN actually had a waiver to, to have its own automatic qualifier with five teams through 2023. The WAC did not. And so it was ASUN really opening the door for the WAC teams to come in and get their AQ. So um, we're going to have a chance to talk to uh, Commissioner Gumbart next week uh, about what the decision was and how the alliance was made. But I think it's the unsteady landscape of FCS football and, and Division One football, really, that's forced these things to happen. I don't think they're going to go anywhere for the next three to five years. Yeah, I think, you know, we talked to Jeff Hurd, who was the outgoing commissioner of the WAC last year, and he went through the, the WAC the first time, you know, being dissolved and then having to reform as an FCS conference. And you could just tell from that conversation we had last year, that was something that worried him. And Ted Gumbart, in his conversations with us, you know, very frank about the, the shifting of the landscape. And to Nathan's point, you know, credit to what Jacksonville State, Sam Houston, and even James Madison want to do and move up and live out their FBS aspirations. But in three to five years, they could very well be back playing the same level of football. And I think that's the, the unsettling nature there of are these teams jumping or grasping at something that isn't going to be there, isn't going to be the same, or are you effectively doing it for nothing? So I, I think for the WAC and the A-Sun and their alliance that has formed now, I think until – you know, they sort out the issues with the FBS and they are ever changing at that level. And we're starting to see, you know, the college football playoff now offering to take control of what we know as the FBS level. Until that sorts itself out, and that could be a huge play, I think for the FCS, it is better to have these alliances. I know the OVC, the OVC and the Big South have one where the OVC will effectively take over the Big South after this season. I think we're going to see a lot more of these alliances and figuring it out, and maybe we start looking at this and not at just, you know, a, uh, a football landscape, but, you know, as a whole where, you know, maybe we start dividing up some of these conferences, more regionality, what the FBS have gotten away from. And I think that's what we saw from Commissioner Thornton out in the WAC. He wants programs that want to be in the WAC, and him taking over, it's not, you know, Lamar, we want to leave after the season. Well, go now. Go, do what's best for you now and let us figure it out moving forward. There's not the dollars involved that we see at the FBS level. So there's going to be a lot more flexibility and there's going to be a lot more movement, at least out of the gate with that, because there's not the dollars really tying people down to television deals. And, and I'll just one more caveat to that is what the CAA is doing and trying to make a super FCS conference. I think that's going to force the hand of some of these uh, conferences that got three, four or five teams in it right now. Maybe they all come together and you have maybe two, three conferences that now compete against the Valley and, and uh, the Big Sky conferences because, uh, yeah, it's just a weird it's a weird time for for college football. Now, one uh, we did our Big Sky preview with Chris Hammond from um, FCS Fan Nation, and one of the things he was mentioning, and I think a lot of you know average fans may not know this, is the only conference that has the ability under NCAA bylaws to move up to D one to FBS is the WAC because they're a previous F uh, FBS member. Now, 
he was saying that's the ultimate goal. I think Tarleton's been very vocal about it. Stephen F. Austin fans have kind of started the chatter there. We just saw Sam Houston State. He said that one of the worries for the big scob, unless divisions start kind of getting approved at the FCS level, that you could see a Northern Arizona. You could see some of those Southern California teams come to the WAC and that conference trying to move up as a whole as the landscape kind of settles at the FBS level. Is that something that you guys see happening, or do you think – you know, until we know more about what the NCAA is even going to look like in five years, that that's something the WAC isn't even trying to consider right now. So I think it's very funny because to move up to FBS, you have to have a conference willing to take you, unless you're Liberty. And listen, <laughs> Liberty has a lot of money, and Liberty threatened to use that money to sue the NCAA into non-existence, as I was told by multiple people close to the situation. And that's how they got to move up as an independent. Now, with the WAC having that ability, because as you mentioned, they were a former FBS conference that have been cleared to move up. Yeah, I think that's going to be the quickest pathway up because I don't see a lot of G5 conferences now really going to extend the olive branch to FCS programs uh, just because they're, they're already sorting out TV deals and things like that. They did what they need to do to maintain the number to fulfill their television deals. And the Americans locked into a pretty long-term deal with ESPN and how they work out their conferences. I believe the Sun Belt as well. So I think barring another rating of the Power Five conferences of the G5, I think we're seeing, you know, the tide kind of settle there. But if you have a lot of schools that want to make the move as one, the easiest way to do that is through the conduit as one institution, for lack of a better term, and that's through the WAC. And I think that will be the biggest tell or the biggest sign. If these schools start coming into the WAC, then we know what the next step will be. Yeah, and I, and I think that uh, if the WAC had that those aspirations to move up to FBS as a conference, why wouldn't have Sam Houston just stood by and waited. Casey Keeler didn't, I, in my opinion, Casey Keeler did not want to go FBS at this time. It's just such such a, a rocky waters there right now. They don't have the stadium. They just put a bunch of money into their locker room. Um, you know, and honestly, the fan support for Sam Houston wasn't that great. So, and you have to have uh, full stadiums or half full stadiums to go FBS. I, I don't know if the conversation has been had or not. You have a new commissioner over there. He is a basketball guy. All right. Let's make, make no bones about that. He's a basketball guy. So FBS FCS doesn't, doesn't ring home to him because they're playing, you know, in the, in the March madness anyway. Um, but I I know that there's teams like Tarleton has those aspirations and very vocal about having aspirations about going FBS. I have not heard except for the fan base about F, uh, SFA wanting to go FBS. And then, you know, Abilene Christian does not want to go FBS. They're, they're too small of a school. I just don't see that. I don't see the, the foundation there for the whole thing to move up. You probably would have to bring in a Montana and a South Dakota state or something to bring up and, and then, and then kind of bolster that. But I don't think within the next few years, I don't think that's going to happen. And but you know what? I've been surprised before. I was surprised Jacksonville State took made the jump. So we'll see. As a Jacksonville State fan growing up, I was very shocked that they made the move when they did. I I I, I can be honest, I did not see it coming. And real quick, just just um, in y'all's initial thoughts, how much success will Jacksonville State, Sam Houston State, have in their first two three years at the FBS level? Short answer, none at all. Um, <laughs> you know, it took Georgia State with the backing of probably the best 
football talent uh, in terms of high school talent across the nation. I know Texas is right up there with it. Um, it took them years to find a footing, and they're just now getting to that point where they are consistently considered for bowl games. And it, it's, I think it's a huge undertaking. And when Bill Curry, who was the inaugural head coach of the Georgia State Panthers, you know, convinced the administration to move up to FBS, I don't think they knew what they were undertaking there. And it took them a long time to really find the footing. It took them two more coaches to get there. And it really has to be a shift in the mindset. Georgia State's, you know, next head coach was Trent Miles, who was an FCS head coach. And trying to come in and apply that to FBS thinking didn't work. They had to go out and get Sean Elliott, who was a longtime South Carolina assistant. Now with Liberty, exception to the rule. Coastal Carolina, exception to the rule. Why is this? Because Liberty, as I mentioned before, has boatloads of money. And remember, Coastal Carolina moved up with Joe Mowgli as their head coach. He is worth darn near a billion dollars through his work at TD Ameritrade. And I love Coach Mowgli. Had a chance to talk with him many a times, would run through a wall for that guy. But that was the financial backing to handle recruiting, to hop on a private jet, to go to these kids' homes no matter when and where. I don't know if Jacksonville State has that ability right out the gate. Um, they're investing a lot of money into upgrading Snow Burgess Stadium, and it's going to look amazing when it's all said and done. They got a head coach in Rich Rod who knows how FBS works, but there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on him. Re remember, you know, Michigan didn't end too well for him. Arizona didn't end too well for him. And I'm not talking about the on-the-field product as well. So with that, especially with a transitioning program, the NCAA or the enforcement group is going to look at that a little bit closer and you can't cut corners there. You're going to have to make sure everything's lined up in a row. And I just think for Jacksonville state, it's going to be a little bit tougher than Sam Houston, just because Sam Houston has a lot more talent they can pull from in Texas and really make their path easier for Jacksonville state. There's a lot of expenses. They're going to have to spend a lot more time in Atlanta, in more parts of Alabama and try to get in on those third-tier guys. If you think about the top-tier guys in Alabama are probably going to Alabama or Georgia. Second-tier guys in Alabama are probably looking at Auburn right now um, or, or, or Tennessee or something like that. You have to get in and be that third tier where those guys, without a shadow of a doubt, if I'm not one of those top two tiers, I'm going to Jacksonville State, and that takes a long time to make that kind of headway. And I think it, it also depends on how these programs are going to define success. If success is making the Boca Raton Bowl, then maybe within a couple of years you, you have a bowl win under your belt. But uh, I agree with Brandon. Uh, you're, you're battling Troy, which has, has moved up and had, had tremendous success for those, those three-stars and high two-star uh, recruits, maybe even some four-star recruits. And, and then you're battling the transfer portal. So um, – yeah, I, I, I think that uh, same thing with Sam Houston, um, to define success. Coach Keeler is a national champion twice with two different programs. Is he going to be happy uh, going, you know, six and five or whatever and in, in making a, a, a bowl that no one watches? Define success. If it's having $10 million in your, in your account after four years because you're FBS and you're getting some of that TV money, okay. Then, then you're successful. You've made the jump, and, and kudos to you. While other teams in the FCS are playing for national championships. Hey, uh, I, I completely echo y'all. You know both of your sentiments, and for you know Jacksonville State, I, I just, I just don't know, man. I think there's a lot of question marks around that program. I think you saw the exodus of transfer portal talent from that team. They are not the same team that was competing for playoff bids and things like that. And with, with Coastal Carolina, I think you've got to give a lot of credit, man. That, that Chadwell hire went 
completely better than expected. I mean, the fact that they knocked that hire out the park and then you get land a kid like a Grayson McCall who turns into a potential top 10 quarterback. I think Coastal, and when you look at like Coastal, maybe an app state, those stories are far and few between for teams who are moving up to the FBS level. But you guys are both Kennesaw State guys, so I know this was going to hit home. A lot of – a lot. I've been very high on them. I had them ranked very high in my top 25. But a lot of people are wondering, can the triple option, can Kennesaw State make a real deep run? Like I'm talking semifinals, potential Frisco appearance. Can that offense get them there? Is this the year for you guys that Kennesaw State can break through and make a deep run in the FCS playoffs? Well, you know, time will tell. If you've been around, and I don't know if you, if you've, I've been on the field with Kennesaw, so has Brandon, when they, Kennesaw State plays such a physical brand of football, and you have to with the triple option, okay? Um, when you get second round in the playoffs, they're always banged up, and their key players are always, you know, struggling to get back on the field. Um, so I think depth has a lot to do with it. And I think Kennesaw State's probably deeper this year than they ever have been before. So, uh, but there's a lot of question marks. You lose Evan Thompson, your leading tackler from a year ago. Uh, Chase uh, uh, Chance Bates uh, left the program, entered the transfer portal. I think ended up at Kansas. Brandon, do you remember where he's at? Um, so, uh, you know, I think they're as deep as you can be for a triple option team, and I think that uh, the, all the pieces are there to make the run. Um, but you know, it's a physical league. The A-Sun's going to be a very, very physical league. And the last game of the season for Kennesaw State is going to be against Eastern Kentucky. That could be for the A-Sun Championship or the AQ, um, which supposedly they're announcing that, uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to pick power ratings and, and math, mathematicians. They're going to have to come in to figure out who they're going to get the AQ out of the uh, A-Sun and WAC. But, um, you know, when you come to the, that final game of the season, You'll you'll know, and and I think looking at Kennesaw State, they have to remain healthy. They have to remain deep. Xavier Shepard is an exceptional football player. Um, they've they've got some wide receivers. They brought some transfers in the running back room. Uh, Coach Bohannon, we just released the podcast this morning, is as deep and as good as he says he's has ever seen. Um, Isaac Foster, the dynamic running back, uh, a back for them or the one back for them is is coming back. Um, so I, yeah, I think I definitely think the pieces are there for them to go three, third, fourth round um, into the playoffs, maybe to the championship game. But uh, it's going to depend on health. I mean, I really believe this is a talented football team that can that can make a run. Yeah, Chance Bates ended up at ECU with Blake Carroll, who was the uh, defensive coordinator that brought him in to the Kennesaw State program. Um, but yeah, to Nathan's point, if you if you assure me health is not a factor in it, then yeah, I'm taking Kennesaw State to at least make it to the Final Four, maybe even to a championship game, because I think they are that talented. I think they are tried, tested, and true. And for every big game, with the exception of their FBS crossover last year against Georgia Tech, they've held a lead or they've been within one score late. It's just a matter of whether they won the game or they didn't, and you know, in the playoffs, they haven't won those games. And in the playoffs, they've had heartbreaking, gut-wrenching losses. And I think the evolution of the offense is going to be key. You have to remember, Xavier Shepard did not come up in a triple option system. His school in Nashville, they threw the ball. You can go look up Xavier Shepard high school highlights. Kid can sling the pill around the park. And I think that's going to be the next step. And, you know, I've talked about this at various points with, you know, Grant Chestnut, their offensive coordinator, and Coach Bohannon about the evolution of the offense. So much so that when I was on the broadcast a couple of times, I had to pull out a couple of questions because we we got too deep into the game plan. But 
I expect to see Kennesaw State line up and throw the ball a little bit more, whether it be from a you know a option look or they run the option out of traditional passing formation looks. They're going to have that element in there, and I think that's the key for Kennesaw State. When you have to prepare for the triple option on a week's notice, but also have to prepare for the triple option and elements you know that aren't conducive to the triple option or formations that they can run it out of, it creates a level of confusion for the defense that they're going to have to adjust and try to adapt to on the fly. So I think Kennesaw State, if everything stays healthy, they have that level of advantage on their side. And I know um, you mentioned the schedule, too. A lot of people were saying that the reason Kennesaw hasn't made those runs is because the strength of schedule wasn't there and they weren't prepared for the playoff. And a lot of people are wondering if being in the ace, and you mentioned that Eastern Kentucky game, I'm going to be there. That's that's the game of the week for this show. I'm going to be traveling up to that game. Do you think the schedule, because that Cincinnati game for me looms real large with all with Desmond Ritter being gone, running backs being gone, some offensive line pieces, um, uh, Majay Sanders, even um, the uh, Sauce Gardner at the corner spot and Kobe Bryant being gone. That's a game that Kennesaw, I think, could be in. Do you guys think the schedule sets up really well for this team to be extremely battle-tested once they get to FCS playoff time in late November? Yeah, yeah I, I think – yeah, go ahead, Brandon. <laughs> I think that they will be battle-tested. The only thing that concerns me is that bye week comes pretty early for the Owls, and I think that's going to be the big stretch for them after that Cincinnati game. But to your point about that Cincinnati game, I mean, I, I'm i a little less confident than I was when walking into Kent State in 19. I was 100% confident. I went on the Kent State pregame show and told them the Owls were going to win the game convincingly, and they should have. <laughs> um, but – I do think there is a path for them to win this game versus Cincinnati just because of the fact of ball control. And you're going to have young guys for Luke Fickle's program that have to figure out on the fly, you know, with the less amount of possessions that come with a Kennesaw State game. It's it's real easy if I if I ensure you you're going to get 22 possessions, you know, offensively a game, what you can make work with it. But what if I tell you you're going to lose four or five of those just because there won't be time left for it? Well, that, that adds a sense of urgency, and I think how does that project to players that haven't played a lot of games? And if you want to look back at Cincinnati over the course of the past two years, they had to play, especially those tough games, they never got a chance to put in a lot of young guys. Desmond Ritter was playing in the fourth quarter of a lot of games. Even though Cincinnati won all of their regular season games for the most part for the past two years, Desmond Ritter had to play a lot. They didn't leave a lot of time for a young quarterback to earn snaps, earn reps. So there's going to be a lot of learning on the fly for the Bearcats. And I think that's where Kennesaw looks at, you know, what they have and how they can execute. I think they'll have the more experienced quarterback, the more athletic quarterback, and I'll say the better quarterback on the field on that Saturday. Yeah, and, and uh, I, you know, I, just looking at their schedule, first of all, I think Cincinnati is going to be an extremely tough game, and I love FCS fans. Um you know the 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 swell of pride of FCS beating FBS opponents. Um, I think it's going to be a really tough game for Kennesaw State, no matter what. But um, you know, I look down to the FCS. You have to go to Jacksonville State, and you have punched Jacksonville State in the face three times in a row now. Zero and three is the Gamecocks versus Kennesaw State. This is likely the last chance Jacksonville State is going to have a shot at Kennesaw State, and you know. Before this announcement was made, this is kind of uh, behind the curtain. They were trying to to make a Chief Ladiga trophy 
for Jacksonville State and Kennesaw State to play each other for a trophy for this long-standing uh, rivalry that they're going to build. And, of course, Jacksonville State jumps up to FBS. So, there, and I'll tell you, Jacksonville State fans and Kennesaw State fans, they all know each other. They all went to school together. Um, shoot, I have people in my office who graduated from Jacksonville State. I don't let them put anything Gamecock on the wall because it, it gives me, like, the heebie-jeebies. So, um that's going to be a big game, and it's in Jacksonville State. So that's a game Kennesaw State cannot sleep on um, because you don't know what Jacks- – you're going to have 85 scholarships there for the Gamecocks. You don't know what they're bringing in. Zion Webb is returning for Jacksonville State. I just don't – it's going to be very tough. I originally had Kennesaw State losing two games, and it was the Cincinnati and Jacksonville State game. Once I've gone back and I've, I've kind of talked to some folks around the Jacksonville State program, it seems like there's a lot of – unsteadiness going on because the coaches coaching changes so that could be a factor and maybe KSU can take an advantage now I have them going nine and one and just losing that Cincinnati game yeah because I uh, I know uh Rich Rock uh in his press conference I believe it was what yesterday or two days ago he said they weren't going to name a starter till like what five minutes before kickoff or something like that and I I mean the freshman they landed I just want to say this Smoot is the real deal the three-star quarterback that's coming in, I just don't know if he wants to roll out there with a true freshman when you got Aaron McLaughlin coming in and a fifth-year guy in Zion Webb. Now, the team that has caused a lot of arguments across social media in FCS spaces is Stephen F. Austin. Now, at, just to put, put it on the record, I'm a believer. I think this team, if everything goes right, can be a team that makes a semifinal run, and I really do believe that. Do you guys think Stephen F. Austin and the Lumberjacks can live up to the preseason hype they're receiving this year? Yes, I, I think so. I, if you take a look at their toughest games from last year, or all their losses, just throwing all, even the Texas Tech game, throwing all their losses. I mean, I think the number, it, I, we had the number last year. I think the the points that they lost by, I think it's like fifteen points. Were combined all all, all their losses. I think eleven if you don't count Texas Tech. But that's insane, you know, for the level of play. And I think people just overlooked that. I think they were a little shocked by it to begin with for SFA. But I mean, credit to Dustin Helton. We had him on early last year, and he was like, "No, SFA is for real." And by the end of the year, y'all gonna have to put some respect on their name and. We did, and I think a lot of that carries over. If they can protect the ball, if they have, if they avoid, for lack for lack of a better term, the big screw up, and that that was their problem last year. They had one big screw up every game that they lost that prevented them from winning the game. And Kobe Carthel was very honest. I think the second time he came on with us and acknowledging that that was the big factor that they always had one possession that would either put them behind the eight ball that would lead to an opponent score that they couldn't come back from or direct turnover. And with age and time comes that wisdom. And I think you're going to bring back a lot of guys in there who learned from those losses and learned about what it takes to win at a high level. And I just firmly believe in looking at the way they played against Sam Houston, looking at the way they played against incarnate word, not even factoring Texas Tech, I think this is a team that has a chip on their shoulder, a giant Dorito to go back out there and uh, prove a lot more people wrong, and I think it will play out their way. And if they can get the wins that they need to, you know, I think to make the statement for for the Lumberjacks, I think 
there will be no doubt that they are a top-tier team, no matter how they decide the WAC Ace on champion. And as Nathan said, the metric, the abacus, the slide rule, and the lunar positioning that they were going to use to make this champion. Yeah, Trey Self, Miles Reed, Xavier Gibson, Brevin Randall. You got key pieces that are coming back for SFA. They've added pieces. Coach Colby Carthel is a dynamic coach, and he is one of those 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 pieces that you have to have in place to to make a championship run. And I, I think that I, people love playing for him, and I think that that shows on the field. So I, I their defense has to improve without question. They they lost that overtime game to UIW in the FCS playoffs, a heartbreaker. I think they were up by 14 points at one point, and and then blew it. Like Brandon said, they had too many – they allowed too many third downs, too many rushing yards. Uh, Cam Ward's dynamic, but in the end of the day, you're going home and they're not. So that was a game they should have won. And we've talked to coaches uh, like uh, Walt Wells, who didn't make the playoffs, thought they should. Uh, Coach Bohannon, that had that, that letdown against ETSU. SFA also has a sting from that overtime loss to to UIW. I would be surprised if they bring that into this season and are not going to let it happen again. I expect them to run deep into the FCS playoffs. Yeah, and I, I think you saw the next week that uh, Sam Houston State got all they could ask for from UIW. I think if if Stephen F. Austin would have got that uh, rematch, we really I, I I don't know if, if Sam Houston State would have been as lucky because I think that that uh, team had a was on a mission now. This weekend's a big game for them. You get Jacksonville State in the FCS kickoff game in Montgomery. What are y'all expecting in that game? Do you have any predictions, or how important is this game for Stephen F. Austin to start the season on the right foot? Uh, I think it's big. Um, you know, not to keep plugging our podcast, but we're going to keep plugging our podcast. Uh, we had Nathan Brown, Central Arkansas head coach, on with us in the episode we just released, and I asked him how does he view this Jackson Jacksonville State game when they play later in the year, and he said, and look dead right at us into the, the camera on Zoom and said, I view it as an FBS game because Jacksonville State has the full allotment of FBS scholarship. So using that mindset, Stephen F. Austin is playing an FBS opponent. If they can win this game, I and you know, I agree with Coach Brown. If they can win this game, I count it as an FBS win. If they lose this game, I don't know if I count it as, you know, an FCS loss, but I think Stephen F. Austin can go out there, they can make a statement, and they can get a team that's going to have to find itself. Rich Rodriguez changes an offense completely. It's not like he takes other elements from what they were running under John Cross, and I'll integrate my system in moving forward. No, it is your old playbook. We will use it as fire kindling, and we will warm ourselves in the winter because you have a brand new you know, spread option that is run-based, which is totally counterintuitive now to what we're seeing and not to mention that was at Michigan 10 12 years ago so there has been a book on it now he tried in Arizona it didn't really ever pan out so what is the evolution of his offense that's a lot that the players are gonna have to figure out that's a lot that you know the coaching staff is gonna have to figure out what the personnel that they have in there I think this is right for Stephen F. Austin to have the more talent on the field and to win this game scheme wise and talent wise that, you know, I know what a lot of the um, computer metrics are saying and not to jump on anything. Nathan might say, I, I think this is a two score victory for FSA. 
Okay, so <laughs> I, I have I have SFA winning this football game, but again, you don't know what you don't know. In this Jacksonville State team, we don't know what they have. Now we talked about it on our podcast again, FCS Checkdown, um, that they have this punter issue with a long snapper issue. Anytime you start having turmoil around your program like this, and you have players leaving, all five. Uh, quarterbacks left after the spring game, this Jacksonville state team, except for Zion Webb. So you got to wonder, it, it is a transition. And, and when we talked to uh, coach Wells about the, the transition to FBS, because the EKU is kind of that next team up kind of uh, belief. He said, it's such a hard transition. People have no idea how the fan base expects you to win immediately. And you're not going to, you think the money's going to flow in immediately and it's not going to the losses start mounting up. So, and, and then you start having to change coaches because di different mindsets, players will come and go. It is a, it is a very, very tough uh, transition. And I think Jacksonville state's going through that right now. And I think SFA is going to go in there and, and be ready to play ball and they're going to ax them. And it's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be a two touchdown, uh, you know, victory for them, but I think it's going to be a Jack's victory. And I would take that bet all day long. Yeah. Uh, we, we dropped our preview yesterday. I, I got them winning. I got them winning by double digits. I think when you look at one, that's one of the games you mentioned that they kind of gave away last year. They should have they should have won that Jacksonville State game last year. So I think they're coming in fired up. And then when you look at the quarterbacks leaving, Josh Sham uh, Josh uh, Samuel went to Austin P. They lost um, one of the defensive tackles just recently entered the transfer portal in uh, Lamb Gordon. You lose Nicario Harper to Louisville. You lose uh, Malik Feaster late to Florida State. And, I mean, even going back to the year before that they lost multiple guys. I mean, really and truly outside of, like, uh, Swain at the defensive end spot and um, – there was another guy at the corner spot that I'm blanking on his name. Those are like the only two starters that are like really coming back. Markel Benton's coming back at the linebacker spot, but they have so much turnover that I just game one against a tough Stephen F. Austin. I just don't like their chances, but a team that I'm really high on and Walt Wells has done an excellent job. And I think we all can agree from where he came in with Eastern Kentucky to where this team's sitting now. He deserves a lot of credit with how talented this team is. The rebuild. What have you guys seen? What have what's been the keys in y'all's opinion to Eastern Kentucky being rebuilt into a legit now FCS playoff contender going into 2022? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with Walt Wells came in and that that weird COVID kind of time, and the players stayed. They actually liked the the coaching staff that came in, and so you had that consistency to come in and and implement your, your um, offense and defense and the players kind of bought into it. And, and so you didn't have a whole lot of uh, shifting and you've got a lot of players that are returning for Eastern Kentucky and, and don't think that they're not recruiting their pipeline doesn't go up into Ohio and Pennsylvania. They're recruiting the South, just like some of these other teams. That's why the a sun's such a good fit for them. Um, I think it, I think it comes down to number one, Walt Wells, again, an, another great football coach, football mind, uh, played at Austin P, coached under Roy Kidd, um, knows knows a lot about Eastern Kentucky football. The family of Eastern Kentucky up there, the fam football family, is very, very tight-knit, and it's a great place. And they've kind of reestablished EKU football on the map when it kind of disappeared for a long time. So, yeah, I, I think it has a lot to do with the coaching staff that stayed there, and they've had some consistency on their roster. And, and uh, I think people want to go play for Coach Wells. 
Yeah, and to Nathan's point, when we had Coach Wells on, I think there there was a level of accountability from him to his players where he raised his hand at various points, whether it was through the COVID season or last season, and go, we're not good enough right now as a coaching staff. We're not doing what we need to do to win games. And I think players look at that, and it's very refreshing. I, I think when you step on Alabama's football field I don't think you get a lot of hey we're messing up here as coaches I don't think you get a lot of that in a lot of places and he was very candid with some of the changes he had to make you know from a philosophy standpoint and a scheme standpoint to really put players in better situation I think the key to this rebuild also comes down to five words Parker McKinney comma Matthew Jackson I I think that that's huge in this rebuild also when you get two guys on both sides of the ball that we know their talent. We can see their talent every Saturday. But when you get these guys, and Walt Wells, as he phrased it to us, that are leaders in the locker room, that other players, I mean, he alluded to that defensive guys, you know, look up to Parker McKinney. Offensive guys look up to Matthew Jackson. That makes life easy in the locker room when you have two leaders like that on both sides of the ball that are so, you know, eclectic with their personality or engaging with their personality, even though Matthew Jackson isn't the vocal leader or the guy that is going to stand up and give a rallying cry, but he has that personality that people flock to and he wants to get better and makes everybody else wants to get better. And you have, you know, Parker McKinney that is willing to look at a younger quarterback coming in the program that wants to take his job out of the gate and teach him the tools of the trade. I think that's great for a locker room. I think that's the key of going out there every Saturday and going, you know what? We deserve, we belong. And you have a coaching staff that goes, we're not going to be perfect. We don't expect you to be perfect, but let's try to be perfect together. And by the way, I think uh, talking about administrations is, is boring, but the administration at EKU in the, the, the uh, athletic department, they're putting money into the program. And that's what FCS programs need is athletic departments that are willing to put money into programs and I'll be honest with you, Kennesaw State does not have that same of uh, administration that's willing to put money in their program. They've they've done some things, but they're not they're not like what you see at SFA in uh, Austin P. Just redid their locker room and in EKU. The the money that they're putting in, I think it's it's huge. And that's another reason why I don't think Kennesaw State is is all the hype that says oh they got to go FBS now. They're not ready. They don't have the administration in place. And I'm not talking about the coaching staff. They don't have the administration in place to make those those changes where Matt Roan is the athletic director at EKU, uh, graduated from Southern Utah. He brings in Southern Utah to their schedule. They're spending money on EKU's program, and I think that's a huge benefit. And that's, you know what, honestly, look, that's what players like. They love to come in and see, the, see all the bells and whistles of the locker room, and, and that's huge this day and age. Yeah, well, and not to, you know, keep on, you know, piling on the KSU. I think, you know, from our perspective there, we've seen a lot of renderings, not a lot of construction, not a lot of action. And, you know, players respond to that. And, you know, to be very frank and candid and with all due respect to all the coaches and, you know, even the administration there, even as Nathan pointed out, some of the disconnect there, there are a lot more high schools in the state of Georgia with better facilities. And that's really tough for Kennesaw State to go in there and you know talk about their plan for a future and you're bringing a kid in and one he's going to downgrade because he he's going from an indoor at high school to not having one and two trying to sell them on things that they won't ever see in their tenure at the university and i think that's big for jacksonville state and saying you know what we're going to make all these improvements and we're starting right now i mean they announced it and i mean within hours people are starting to work on on the site and that's huge because even though it may take 
three, four, five years, you get these guys walking in here as freshmen going, okay, I'm going to get to use that. I'm going to get to be part of that. And even the seniors going, this is what my hard work has paid off for. It's a tangible, you know, service there that we're not seeing at some of these FCS schools or some of these ASUN and WAC schools, but those where we are seeing it, I think we do have to celebrate it. Yeah, right hey, real, real quick, it, do you, and I think Jacksonville State, this is going to seem like a, a terrible thing to say, but the tornado coming through and tearing up a lot of stuff and they had to rebuild, that really started um, uh, the mindset. It seemed like this, the mindset of build for the future and, and when, the, when those buildings got knocked down. And it was a terrible thing, and I'm not celebrating it at all. I'm just saying that kind of was a, a point of rebuild for that, that school's football and athletic program. Yeah, I mean, you were right on that where, I mean, Jacksonville State announced it, and I felt like they had workers there a week before they even announced it. Like, they were, like, quarter of the way done, and they were like, this is what we're doing. And it's like, okay, we, we hear you. But with Eastern Kentucky, I feel like they got really overlooked in recruiting this year. When you go back and look at that recruiting class, you you know, of course, Jackson State deserves all the hype they're getting with Travis Hunter and Kevin Coleman. And Campbell got a lot of hype with Miles Rouser and um, Edrick Weldon. But people forget Eastern Kentucky landed a four-star, too. And they landed a, a few really high three stars in that class, and no one talked about it, man. And I, I got we had the honor of having uh, Matthew Jackson on the show and got to talk to him at ASUN Media Day. And you could just tell, I mean, he is the guy for that program, and I don't think he is going to shy away from it. I'm expecting a big year for him. But sleeper teams, there's always somebody who – we're not talking about the media doesn't like that comes out of nowhere. And, you know, we'll do both conferences together. Who are your sleeper teams in the ASUN and, and WAC? Well, I would say a sleeper for, and I, I would say Austin P is a sleeper for me in the ASUN. Um, just talking to uh, Scotty Weldon, the uh, head coach, uh, was it two weeks ago? Um, he's he's a player that you want to play for and he talked about the pieces that are in place they actually ended this season pretty strong last year uh, making the jump back over to the a, a sun will be interesting because it's a totally different level of competition in my opinion so i think out of the a sun i think austin p could make some noise i would love to say central arkansas but th they had so many pieces in place last year and just didn't didn't perform on the field. And I love Nathan Brown. He's, he, we, again, he talked to him this past week, um, but the pieces were there last year. And now I think they're almost rebuilding. So um, I, I would put Austin P above central Arkansas for the whack. Gosh, you have three teams that are eligible. And I mean, SFA Abilene Christian in Southern Utah, I think Abilene Christian is going to do more um, than people think. I like the Keith P Patterson hire that who came from Texas tech Um but they are rebuilding. They brought a ton of transfers in, a oh, yeah. ton of transfers in. So um, it'll be interesting to see if Coach Patterson get to get them to gel. Those would be my two sleeper teams. Yeah, I think, you know, Will McElvain at Central Arkansas, he's Iowa's Johnny Manziel. Uh, I remember watching him a couple of years ago and thinking that right out of the gate. He's, he was Northern Iowa's Johnny Manziel, and I think that could be interesting to see at UCA. And I think Nathan Brown is very high on him as his quarterback um, moving forward. But you know, what I'm seeing a lot on Twitter, and maybe I need to go back and, you know, rewatch some game footage is North Alabama. Everybody's singing the praises of North Alabama. And Chris Willis came on and said, you know what, I've had to reassert myself on the defensive side of the ball. I came from the defensive side of the ball. And he's talking about the struggles. And maybe it was they were playing for nothing. They knew that they couldn't make the playoffs. They knew they couldn't, you know, play for conference championships and getting that full waiver or the grant 
to, you know, fully be division one, maybe that has shifted the mindset. Maybe that was the missing piece. So I need to go back and do my work on Northern Iowa and I, I'm sorry, North Alabama. And I have a short amount of time to go and do it. But to Nathan's point there, Austin P I think Scotty Walden's uh, offense with that tempo, with that pace, if they're executing offensively, they're going to put up big numbers and whether it's yards and points and then force the other team to have to match them and play out of their comfort zone. I think from an offensive standpoint, which is very weird to say, especially in the mind of, you know, growing up and watching, you know, in, in SEC football in the South where, you know, defense dictates games and you need to have a smash mouth defense to, to stop, you know, or control a game. Scotty Walden and Austin P they can control a game offensively because if they're rolling and they're dialing up digits, it is very, you know, air raid when the air raid first came on, if you couldn't match tempo and match score, you found yourself down two, three possessions real quick. And then all of a sudden that's where the interceptions came because you were being forced to have to drop back. You had to abandon the run game. And that's when defenses can pin their ears back from a rush standpoint and defenders in the secondary can just drop back and ball hawk. I think that is a real opportunity there for Austin P. I like both of those picks. I, you know, Austin P for me, Talking to Scotty Walden, I was not a big believer in Austin P coming into like Ace of Media Day, but I sat there and talked to him for about thirty minutes, and man, that he could sell ice. He could sell ice to an Eskimo man. I mean, that guy. I mean, and he was so honest. He was like, "Listen, I know we lost a lot of pieces because I mean, let's be honest. Losing Draylon Ellis, Terrell Allen, some of those guys are major concerns. Those guys are supremely talented. Probably going to do big things over at Tennessee State. But he was like, "Listen, man, if you don't fit the culture, you don't fit what we want here. We're going to be okay." And he was like, we have talent coming in. And when you look at that offense, going to get Josh Samuel, who is proven at this FCS level, can be a running back number one. McCray coming back at the wide receiver spot. That wide receiving core is filled with talent. The one question I have is, what is that defensive line going to look like? Can they get after the quarterback? And I think that really limits their ceiling. But I, I, I do disagree with one thing, man. I'm on the Central Arkansas bandwagon a little bit. I think that defense is going to be better than people expect. Led by Jessup on the defensive line, Hendricks and that offensive line I think are going to be together. Now, Darius Hill for me was completely overlooked last year at the running back spot by a lot of the national media, in my opinion, just because he was a freshman. But if he can even give me 75% of what he gave me last year as a true freshman, that's a big year. Now, wide receiver is the biggest question mark. Because I hated that he left, and I, I talked to him a few times after his transfer. Tyler Hudson, that was a that might have been the biggest loss in the entire country for a team. I think he's that talented. So, are they going to be able to replace their top two wide receivers? But I think the defense and the run game is going to give Central Arkansas enough time early in the season to really kind of catch, you know, catch some new guys in at that wide receiver spot. But that opening game to get Missouri State. Early, that's a really, really tough draw week one. And, and that's, that's uh, one of the reasons why – yeah, that's one of the reasons why I had them um, – their schedule is probably one of the toughest in the, in the country. I think mean, I released something on, on social media. I think they're like 24th in the country. I mean, they really have a tough schedule. And you mentioned the Missouri State, Ole Miss, back-to-back, um, have to travel to SEMO, and then they start the, uh, the A-Sun uh, gauntlet of Austin P. Kennesaw State. Uh, North Alabama, ETSU, Stephen F. Austin, Jacksonville State. I mean, there's you can't come up for air if you're Central Arkansas. And and I do like the defense for for UCA, 
but I put so much into them last year. It's like it just oh, didn't yeah. happen on the field. I hope it does. I hope it does for, for Nathan Brown and his Bears. Yeah, they're going to have to run the ball effectively to start, as you mentioned, and then develop a passing game. I think they do it at the risk of being a one-dimensional offense to start, and you don't want to go into Missouri State being a one-dimensional offense. And I think for the Bears, that's going to be, you know, the big key. And if they develop, you know, being able to – and I don't even want to say, you know, passing the ball, being able to be diverse in their runs because – I mean, there's only so many different times you can stuff the ball in the chest of the running back and say, go get me yards. Yeah. And I think, you know, McIlvain can do things like that. He can, you know, roll out and give them something on the edge to maybe throw quick hitters. You know, nothing. I don't think they're going to push the ball down the field early in the season to to start with. That's a development point for them. But I think they could get creative with getting to the edge and getting guys in space. And, you know, McIlvain's a very shifty guy. He can turn you know, a two yard, you know, quarterback scamper into a 25 yard run. I think that's where they're going to be able to develop some chunk plays out of that as well. But at the risk of how many times are you willing to get your quarterback hit there? And and that's going to be, that's going to be big for them also as well. But yeah, it's going to be no tough task uh, playing Missouri state. And I think if they lose that game, do they fall back into the mindset of last year? Oh no, here it goes again. Because I think that was a big thing for them. They were down in these games, and it just kind of snowballed because of a mindset mindset shift. And I think, you know, when Nathan Brown talked about it with us this week, he, he alluded to that. He, he hasn't gotten over a lot of these losses because they do sting. They do hurt. Well, for a coach, you're allowed to have that, but for a player, they can't. Yeah, and I know they landed um, the three-star Kansas wide receiver, uh, Rector, too, who is a big player in the state of Texas and will be a really big slot wide receiver this year for them. But it's prediction time. I need your guys to let me know who you think is going to win each conference. And and I listen, I don't know how well you guys study astrology, but if the stars align, <laughs> who do you think gets the AQ for this conference? You go is, first, Brandon. Is Mercury in <laughs> retrograde? Yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> no, I think, and I mean, I it's going to be tough for me to uh, put this out there, and I may end up eating my words. I think it's going to come down to a Kennesaw State and FSA. I think Stephen F. Austin will be the no doubt choice. I think, I think when we look at Stephen F. Austin's scheduling, they're going to be the no doubt choice. So I think they're not going to worry about them for an at-large bid. So I think like a Kennesaw State will get the automatic qualifier based on the metric just to ensure. I think the champion of this alliance will be whatever team that is in the upper tier can guarantee them to get two in. And I think there will be a little bit of that collusion unless they release the metric every week. So we can see that transparency that I think is needed. I think it will be whatever fits to get two in. I think it's going to come down to FSA and KSU. And I'll give the nod to KSU just because I think Xavier Shepard could end up with numbers on the ground. And what I expect Kennesaw State to do now with a passing game, he could end up probably up there for player of the year. Yeah, and I agree with him. Um, I think Kennesaw State is probably going to pick up your AQ. SFA will get the at-large bid. Um, their schedule hurts. Uh, if, it, if they take a loss, their, their schedule's in the three digits as far as strength of schedule. So that could, that could open the door for EKU if 
SFA stumbles at all because um, they do have a t- they there's they do have tough games and um, you know the Sam Houston game is going to be is tough and how do you rank that is it an FBS or is it FCS whatever but um, I think Kennesaw State and and my hot take is that Xavier Shepard could. Um, he's going to break records for Kennesaw State and pa- touchdown passes, I believe. He's he's probably going to lead the FCS in touchdown runs for a quarterback or, or overall. Um, I just think he's too strong, and I think he's I think that line is is big and returning. They do leave leaves Jake Lasseter, but they they got some places like uh, Greg Olson, who's coming back for them, and uh, Zion Katina. The offensive line is going to be huge. There is one caveat to this: is the new rule about uh, blocking outside the the tackle box. And we talked to Coach Bohannon about that. I was surprised he didn't put a whole lot of of stake into it, but Kennesaw State chops outside the the box. That is a new rule. You can no longer do that from the backfield. And uh, that's going to be a change for Kennesaw State. So that could have some issues. So my, my, I think Kennesaw State's going to be the win, winner of the AQ. Uh, SFA is going to be the second in at-large bid. And, man, I hope Walt Wells and EKU can put it together and, and three teams come out of the A-Sun uh, whack alliance. That would just be – man, that would be a cherry on top. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think Kennesaw slightly edges out Stephen F. Austin just due to the scheduling. Now, the 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 plot twist would be is what happens if KSU has one loss it's a ranked Cincinnati team, but Stephen F. Austin finds a way to go undefeated, with potentially you know some voters looking at it as three FBS wins on that schedule. Now that I think it gets a little bit tricky, and I think at that point it really doesn't matter who gets the automatic bid. Both of those teams are in there, and both of them are probably fighting for a for a bye week as well in the playoffs now eastern kentucky is an interesting one i'm glad you mentioned that because that was going to be my next question is what do they have to do to get that at large bid but they are helped out by their own conference because now there's an extra at large bid out there for a team to get what percentage chance do you give eku to slide into that last at large bid well, they have essentially four FBS teams on their schedule with Eastern Michigan, uh, uh, go gosh, Bowling Green, Green, yeah, and then and then Jacksonville State and Sam Houston. You've got to win three of those to uh, three uh, three of those games to I think get an at large bid. Um, that would be huge for EKU, and I think it's absolutely doable for this this Colonel team. But it is a grind, and you know, as as the season goes on and injuries mount and and players are nicked up, it's just it's just week by week. It's gonna be it's gonna be a real uphill battle. And I do hope they all look at these FBS FCS transfers or transitioning teams from FCS to FBS as FBS wins. Um, that is the right thing to do, and uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, if they start zero and two, losing their two FBS games then they effectively are going to have to run the table and then ask for a little bit of help. I think you're going to ask for the big the big sky to start cannibalizing itself um, to a certain extent. You're going to ask for a couple of these other, you know, multi-bid conferences like the CAA just to kind of cannibalize themselves and allow a path to get in there. You want to be on that line if you're EKU with two losses being an FBS, to FBS programs with a team that has three or four in-conference losses and try to make your case a little bit better. I also think it's going to be how they play, how they play against a Sam Houston, a Kennesaw, a Jacksonville State in those games. 
again, I think they have to win the Sam Houston game. I think they have to win the Jacksonville State game if they lose both those FBS games to start. But if you're impressive against Kennesaw State and you look like you belong on the field with them for four quarters, then it's going to be hard for a um, a voter to go and say, you know what? Do they not belong compared to a team with four losses in the Big Sky or four losses in the CAA? I think that's going to be the path there because, as I've said to Nathan multiple times, it's tough to consistently get five, six teams in. And eventually, because the, some of these teams get in there and they lose in the first round and they look unimpressive based on matchup and travel, it wears on a voter and you want to start spreading the love and seeing what a couple of these other programs can do. I think that could benefit EKU this year. Yeah, and I think just to just to echo what we talked about earlier, that EKU and Kennesaw State game, you may see me and Brandon up there because we got invited up to an EKU game last year by their fan base because of the, our podcast, and uh, we we have to make the trip up there to Roy Kidd Stadium. It's it, and that may be the game to go to. It's late in the year, man. It's going to be a wild time, and it's and it's going to it's really going to be a, a a balancing game for both these teams. Yeah, because I mean, you could have the ASUN on the line, an automatic bid on the line, and possibly an at-large bid on the line all in the same weekend. Yeah, that was the game when I was looking through the schedule. As soon as I saw it, I said, nope, that weekend, I know exactly where I'm going to be now. You know, we got like four minutes here, man, before I let you guys go. Real quick predictions, man. Who do you guys guys have winning it all this year, and who is maybe an FCS sleeper team that can make a deep run in the playoffs that no one's really expecting this year? Um, I think NDSU is. It'd be dumb not to say that they're they're going to win it. I mean, they're they're returning everything, everybody, and that's just they're NDSU. So I think that'd be my pick. Uh, a team that could run, uh, make a deep run. You know what? I think Missouri State is is going to be a team that is going to be really really tough. And uh, <laughs> I I've we got a chance to go play there when we were with Kennesaw State and. Um, I think they have they have everything they need to be a really good, strong, consistent FCS program, and they've got pieces in, in place this year with their quarterback and their head coach. And just uh, I think Missouri State would be my my uh, my, and I think people are talking about them, but I do think they can make a deep run. Yeah, I think South Dakota State. This may be their time to you know assert themselves into the conversation, and um, I, I just get a feeling for for South Dakota State that this year the the Jackrabbits ha- have a little bit. I think this is the way schedule plays out for them will be conducive for them getting into the playoffs, being a little bit more healthy, a little bit more rested and being able to make that run and win the championship. But, you know, two teams to watch out for. I think Villanova could be very interesting. I know that they lost the quarterback and, you know, it's always finding a path. But how many times do we look up in late November and go, well, Villanova's pretty good, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and get into a playoff game and they're pretty good. And also Delaware, I think at the end of the year, we're going to look at Delaware under Ryan Cardi and go, they're playing very good football and they're going to play very good football compared to what they played early in the season. It may be too late at that point to really make a run. But when we look back at the end of the season, we go, well, Delaware is a team that consistently was on the rise. And at the end of it all, you know, we're going to have to give respect to them for the 2023 season. So I think those two programs in there out of the CAA could be very interesting to watch. Man, t- stole my thunder, Brandon. Man, I can't, I can't invite you on anymore. After that, man, <laughs> stole my Delaware thunder, man. I've been beating the, I've been beating the drum on that team. I think the spring season w- was a strong one for them, and they're returning a lot of talent. And their quarterbacks finally healthy. They go and land Jalen Witcher, who I think is an absolute stud at the receiver spot. Kedrick Whitehead comes back. They have um, 
Chase McGowan and Artis Hemingway coming back on the defensive line. That team, for me, if they can establish the run a little bit and that linebacker spot works itself out throughout the season, that could be a team there. They might be a little iffy early, but, man, if they can get rolling in late November and just get into get into the dance, that could be a team you are dreading to be on that side of the bracket. I think both of you guys are right. I think the, the, the main favorites are South Dakota State, North Dakota State, just because of what they're returning. When you – when you lose Pierre Strong and you get to throw, uh, you know, Zay Davis in there, like that's just the spoils of, you know, the, the rich having all the spoils there. And then, of course, you get your quarterback back who led you to the dance last year. But a, a sleeper I, I want to mention real quick before I'll let you guys go. Sac State is a team who has historically not done well in November, but has done very, very well in the big sky. And they're returning nine defensive starters most of their offense is back. If they can just break through, I think if they can just win a game or two and just get over the hump and, and they can get a little bit of momentum going into the quarterfinals, that could be a team that could be very, very scary come late in the year. Yeah, I started looking out towards the, towards the West Coast recently, and I was I was pleasantly surprised what Sac State's doing over there. And, and uh, they're in a tough area because of with all the big sky and, and valley teams that are that, – don't sleep on Sac State. I think they're really good. And by the way, I think I think the CAA, to what Brandon's point was earlier, I think the CAA may cannibalize themselves. Rhode Island's a pretty good football team. Villanova's another good football team. I think Campbell's going to surprise some people. They bring in some talent. Love what Mike Minner's doing there. So um, I think CAA's probably going to cannibalize themselves. I think that's probably Delaware's biggest issue. You take one or two losses in the, in the conference, and you're probably not going to get in. Yeah, I think, you know, Sac State, as Nathan mentioned, just the regionality of it, it's really tough. You know, because of the pecking order, not even just in conference, but everywhere else in in California there. But I'm I'm very impressed with what Coach Taylor has done over there. And yeah, that was a team I I you know I think we may even talked about it last year when we were doing the playoffs on the show. It was just kind of like, whoa, what is Sac State? You know, how good are they? And uh, they're a team that you really have to follow along with because. I mean, I watched a couple of their games, you know, later in the season and even going back and looking at them. They're a fun program to watch. They they are a very fun offense. And Troy Taylor, I believe, from the offensive side of the ball at Utah, was it? Um, and we know through the history of Utah, whether it's Kyle Whittingham or even Urban Meyer before that, offensively, and it's the same type of, you know, offense, that same theory, that same tempo there, they're fun. they're fun to watch. I completely agree. But, guys, thank you all so much, man. Over an hour for the A-Sun Whack preview, man. One more time, let them know where they can find each of you guys individually on social media. And anything you guys want to plug that you guys have coming for the show, man, feel free, feel free to let them know where to check it out. Yeah, I'm at McCrary Radio, and uh, and then we have the at FCS Checkdown uh, on Twitter, and we are going to continue to roll through. We we should have Coach Colby Carthel next week and Ted Gumbart on our uh, podcast to talk about. We're going to get uh, to the bottom of Spygate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you, I can promise you, if we ask the question, Kobe Carthel will answer it. He's that kind oh, yeah. of interview. He's fantastic. So, uh, but yeah, we're going to keep grinding and, uh, you know, uh, we're just fired up about, about college football starting and, and this is where the rubber meets the road and, uh, yeah, great, great football to come. And I tell you, Austin P in Western Kentucky also a game this weekend that I will not miss. Yeah. I'm on Twitter at B Joseph radio. And again, yeah, just really excited for, for the season. And, you know, a question that we've almost asked all the coaches or we got their thoughts on 
it's finally a normal off season leading into a football season. So I expect the product out of the gate to be a whole lot better than what we saw, you know, last season and even through spring fall 2020 as well. So expect a lot of good football early and especially at the FCS level of teams finding their feet and being able to be um, more competitive early on in the season, less of those hiccups that we saw last year. I think that did a lot of, disservice to a lot of these teams and trying to evaluate them the teams that you know played spring right in the fall and how they were going to find their feet I think a full reset is what we got and you know for you know a Jackson Jacksonville State and a Sam Houston State you know they're not playing for anything tangible but these are two you know talented teams with Sam Houston I think being probably a top five or ten just raw talent team and probably top three head coaches at the FCS level in Casey Keeler. Well, guess what? Even though he can't play for a natty, he wants to leave no doubt that he had the best team at the FCS. So I think that's going to be fun to watch also. And as you mentioned them a little bit earlier, Jackson State, I know they're going to get all the mainstream pub there for what Deion Sanders is doing, but they got an offensive coordinator there that is supposed to take them to the next level. And Travis Hunter, who I got to call a state championship game, dude is a beast he is a man playing you know child's game sometimes and he should be fun to watch also there's a lot of good football at the fcs level and no matter what conference you follow i encourage you to seek out fcs football across all the landscape and it's just it's not fair as a guy who loves football and loves fcs football it's not fair that we have to go hunt to go find our our content when you know some of these other you know levels get you know, they're bad football televised. Like I'm going to have to watch Hawaii versus Vanderbilt and that shouldn't be torture or put upon anybody. But, you know, I encourage everybody just go seek out FCS football and it's good. Yeah. I mean, the best games of the weekend, I think are at the FCS level. Let's just be honest. I mean, you know, maybe, okay. Nebraska and, you know, the, the whole Northwestern game in Dublin, amazing, but everything else was all FCS. Jacksonville State, Stephen F. Olsen is a better game than Hawaii Bandy. I think we can absolutely all leave it at that. But, guys, I appreciate y'all, man. Make sure to go follow Nathan and Brandon on social media. Follow the FCS Checkdown podcast, man. They are doing big things over there. You will see both of these guys on the show throughout the season. I promise that. But for Nathan, for Brandon, for myself, we are out for right now.